Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, that's a great job, man. Right, all three phases, disgusting football. It's going to be like that down the stretch, right? That's how we prepare. It's going to be like that. Great job. And then defense, we're going to come out and seal the game. Great win. Those are the types of games you got to find a way to win in December. It wasn't always pretty. You guys just found a way to figure that thing out, take control of the game. Hats off to you. Divisional games in this division, never easy. Never easy. Gentlemen, that is Six weeks, man. That's the way to come out and set the tone for the day. Yes, sir. Exactly what you guys did. You didn't matter tonight. And guess what? It wasn't quite the cleanest game either. But that's okay, man. We did what we had to do, and we took control of that game. Oh, indeed, the Lions did. We'll be talking about that one. They continue to push themselves into the playoff conversation in the NFC. We push our way into your lives for the next two hours. The show is PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. He's Miles Simmons. I'm Mike Florio. The show is PFT Live on Peacock, Sirius XM85, Sky Sports NFL for our friends in the U.K. and in Ireland, and also podcast whenever, wherever, however. Miles, welcome back. Another bright and early Monday morning for you after spending your second night this week at SoFi Stadium, where apparently it was a little chilly last night. Did you have a jacket? Did you have a sweater, a little cardigan? Maybe the Aaron Rodgers robe cardigan? Did you bring that? I didn't break that out. I, I did wear a sweater, though. It's it, it's officially sweater weather here in L.A. It is pouring rain right now as it is dark and early. You always like to say bright and early, but it is. It, there is no brightness Brightness is coming from the lights here in my apartment as it is pouring outside and it is very cold. I think it's in the 40s right now. So, yeah, this is this is the time when everybody in Los Angeles County panics because, A, nobody knows how to deal with the cold and B, nobody knows how to drive in the rain. So this is a day where I am extremely glad to work from home as I do every day. 
Yeah, it's not bright and early here either. This is that time of year where even at 7 a.m. it's dark, and we are just about nine days away from the shortest day of the year. And uh, we'll try to make these two hours not feel like the longest of your lives by getting to the football action. We're going to begin with the game that Miles witnessed last night between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Miami Dolphins. Miles was not in Miami, although... I get the impression you thought you may have transported through some sort of a wormhole to South Florida because and let's just set the scene. It felt like a Dolphins home game, did it not? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was more neutral than uh, the Thursday night game between the Raiders and the Rams, which I was also at. I guess you sort of alluded to that. Um, but, yeah, it, there were – a lot of Dolphins fans in the crowd. And this is something that is going to continue to happen in Los Angeles. It just kind of is what it is. But opposing fans, especially if you've got a strong national fan base, you're going to invade SoFi Stadium. And the home team, whether it's the Rams or the Chargers, are going to have to go silent count. And that's just the way it is. So yeah, it, it was definitely more neutral, though, than it was on Thursday night. Yeah, I did notice Thursday night silent count from Baker Mayfield and company. I don't I didn't necessarily notice it last night, although I was trying to notice as little of the Dolphins offense as I could. My goodness. This has gone from the Chargers offense, but I know high. Well, well, yeah, you're right. I I got myself all twisted up. That's okay. Can we start over? I'd rather not. Anyway, (laughs) my point is this. I didn't notice either team using the silent count last night, but I do want to. I do want to take a a shot at this Dolphins offense. They just couldn't get going. And now last week, Chris Sims gave them a little bit of an excuse because he said when he watched the film, guys were open. It was just Tua Tungavailoa, the team's quarterback, was off. Well, he was off again last night, and I don't think guys were getting open. I think they've started to figure out, as I heard them say during the broadcast last night, be physical with these receivers, and that disrupts the timing, and that screws up everything. And that's going to be the next step in this evolution of Mike McDaniel and company taking it beyond what defenses are doing to stop them, finding a solution for that. Oh, by the way, you got to go to Buffalo Saturday night. Good luck with all that. Yeah, it it was certainly an ugly day um, for the Miami offense. And and look, I mean, you can say that guys weren't getting open. And I, I think the Chargers did do a good job of disrupting stuff. But there were times, at least from my perspective, and obviously I don't know what's called, but when you see it and you're up high as I was in the press box, and it's like, okay, there seems to be some things developing but Tua Tungavailoa is not playing well, and he was just missing guys. Things were off kilter, it seemed like. It was just ugly, ugly, ugly football. And, Mike, I mean, when there were uh, 11-19 left in the fourth quarter, so right before that long back-breaking drive that the Chargers had, that they ended up kicking a field goal, and that basically kind of in- effectively ended the game. Tungavailoa was 6 of 22 for 112 yards, and one touchdown. And obviously that was the, the 60-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill. And without that, he was 5 of 21 for 52 yards early on in the fourth quarter. That, that's just not winning numbers from your quarterback, right? It, it's really hard to win in the National Football League when your quarterback plays as poorly as Tua Tungavailoa did last night. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I the, the Dolphins have a lot of work to do in a short amount of time to make sure that they're going to be competitive in this big divisional matchup that they've got on Saturday night. And I I don't really know how they're going to do it. 
Third straight road game, too, for the Dolphins. They played at San Francisco, then at the Chargers, then they go back to South Florida, regroup, lick their wounds, figure things out, and then go to Buffalo for a Saturday night game. So, And the Bills looking pretty good. We'll talk about them. And also looking pretty – you want to pick the right words here because it still is football. You don't want to say violent, but it did look pretty violent what they did yesterday to Mike White. That's something that Tua is also going to have to file away as he goes back to pass the ball on Saturday night. 10 for 28, 145 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, a passer rating of 65.3. That is below, and I think we talked about this earlier in the year. It's been a long season, so pardon me if I forget, the Cordoza line, the career passer rating for Cordell Stewart, 70.7. Once upon a time, that was a relevant indicator of good versus bad quarterbacking now with quarterbacks getting better and better no it's got to be about 10 or 15 points higher that is the dividing line but when you're lower than Cordell Stewart's career passer rating now you have had a very very bad night by NFL standards at 10 for 28 so uh, they've got a lot of things that they need to figure out but but before we fully dissect that we do need to heap some praise on the Chargers because look and, and, I, and I have to thank the Chargers social media people, although I have a feeling it's coming. Maybe they wanted to wait until morning, until sunup in Los Angeles to roast all of us at Football Night in America who picked the Dolphins to win the game. And I didn't take a step back and think this is my chance to pick up a game on everyone because I didn't really think everyone would be on the Dolphins. I thought maybe some people would indeed pick the Chargers. I was surprised as it went Dolphins, 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 Dolphins across the board. But the Chargers did get it done. They've moved themselves into the playoff conversation. They now have the number seven spot in the AFC with four games to go. And Justin Herbert, and, and this was supposed to be some sort of a referendum. Chris Sims tweeted this last night. A referendum on Tua Tonga by Loa versus Justin Herbert. Of course, it's easier for the Tua and on crowd to get behind that when the Dolphins have the better team. And maybe they do at every other position. But I'd say it was pretty clear last night which guy is the better quarterback, at least for the three hours and change that we saw last night. Herbert was finally looking like the guy that we'd seen in the past and we've expected him to be all year. And that rib injury, they mentioned last night, Miles, that week two rib injury, I think it took a lot longer for him to recover from than we know. But he has, and he's that guy again. Okay, it, yes. But, Mike, I mean, if we look at the numbers right here, 7.2 yards per attempt is not elite stuff, okay? And, and I'm not saying that to be a Justin Herbert hater. I'm more saying that to be a Joe Lombardi offense hater because I don't know about yes. you, Mike, but I am sick and tired of watching the Chargers continually throw passes at or behind the line of scrimmage. When you have this quarterback who is this talented and you have these receivers who are this talented, why in the world are you throwing so many balls at or behind the line of scrimmage? Let Justin Herbert do Justin Herbert things where you have a third down throw like that to Keenan Allen or you have a throw in the red zone like that to Mike Williams. He is incredibly good and adept at making throws like that let him do that more often. And I understand that the Chargers run game is not very good, but oh my goodness, like he sets a, a career high in completions and you're not trying to take more chunk plays. Like just, I don't know. I, I it, it, it is infuriating to watch that offense when you know and understand the kind of talent that they have available and they just don't seem to use it properly. 
My my first thought as you were saying that is it becomes a supplement to the run game, the old West Coast offense oh. idea that a, a five-yard pass is as good as a five-yard run. But I also think, Miles, that maybe Joe Lombardi became comfortable in the habit of calling those passes when they didn't have the full complement of receivers. And it's hard to right. break out of that rhythm as you're calling the game the same way week in and week out. And it's like somebody has to grab him by the lapels and shake him a little bit and say, hey, Joe, you've got Mike Williams and Keenan Allen back now. We can go back to the Superman throws the ball down the field to the receivers who are capable of getting open and catching it. But still, still, even with that caveat, and once upon a time, 7.2 was a damn good yards per attempt. Now it's not. Miles, back like, the year you were born, I remember Washington that year they won the Super Bowl and their yards per attempt. That was the first year I really became aware of the yards per attempt being a thing. And it is an important stat that coaches look at to determine whether or not an offense is moving the ball. Kevin Gilbride told us that several years ago. Seven was kind of an, hey, what was seven? Now it's like, eh, seven. seven. Like, give yeah, 7.2, eh. Get back to me when it's eight or nine. 7.2. Yeah. But, but still, even with that, fair to say that, that, uh, Herbert reminding everyone what we knew a year ago. And and look, uh, the two-and-on crowd acts like people were wrong in their assessment last year. No, last year he was not good for a variety of reasons. Yes. Coach didn't believe in him. That, that, that tends to drag down a player's performance anytime your coach doesn't believe in you and was obsessed, as I've heard that, that attitude characterized, with getting Deshaun Watson. Yeah, that can – and remember there was a story not that long ago where – Tua was quoted as, as basically saying he was asking himself last year, do I suck? You need a coach yeah. sometimes that's going to prop you up and make you believe in yourself. But even with that, Miles, it wasn't enough. And, and it, could be, it could be that Mike McDaniel has held this together as long as he possibly could, and now they're bumping up against teams that have enough film and have enough firepower that they can exploit the weaknesses that they've found in this Miami offense. It's kind of like on the fly, week by week. Eventually, what are we going to figure out here to shut them down? And for two straight weeks, after the team was undefeated with Tua Tagovailoa at quarterback, undefeated except for the game when he exited. He started that game against the Bengals, but obviously that doesn't really count toward his overall performance. But they hadn't lost a game. Now they've lost two in a row. And there aren't going to be many people picking them to win on Saturday night in Buffalo with one to three inches of snow in the forecast. Yeah, that's going to be tough, man. That's going to be really, really tough. I mean, there, it's not necessarily that there's a blueprint now on how to defeat the Miami Dolphins, but there's at least some film out there where you can probably mimic and emulate some of the things that the San Francisco 49ers, that the Los Angeles Chargers have done. And we do have to give credit to Los Angeles' defense last night because that was a unit that was missing three key starters. Okay, and that's why I, I thought that the Dolphins were going to run away with this thing because they didn't have Derwin James. Right? He's one of the best safeties in the league. He is obviously Los Angeles' best defensive player. Okay, they didn't have Bryce Callahan starting corner. They didn't have Sebastian Joseph Day starting defensive tackle. And that's a defense that was giving up 5.2 yards per carry. By all accounts, Miami should have been able to right the ship against that defense. And they didn't. So, I mean, part of it, I think, was you know, how did they start the game? 
right? They started out by throwing the ball with Tua Tonga Vailoa. And I thought that Mike McDaniel was trying to get Tonga Vailoa in rhythm after what happened at San Francisco last week. So you're, you're trying to get your quarterback some completions. You know, you're trying to test the safety who is playing instead of Derwin James. And instead that ball gets broken up on the, on the first play, right? And then you have two more incompletions and you're punting basically 14, 15 seconds into the game. And it's very, very quick. And then you just can't get anything going offensively beyond that. So I, it just, everything worked out very well for the Chargers last night. I mean, from the fact of, look, they, the, the Dolphins may not have had the exact best game plan to go after that defense, combined with the fact that Tua Tungavailoa played about as poorly as you can as a quarterback in that system and against that defense. Yeah, and if that's the case, a miscalculation by Mike McDaniel, look at the running stats last night. They were not good. And that running game is a big part of what makes the Shanahan offense successful and sets up the passing game. The creative yes. run play, specifically harvested and collected and engineered and tweaked to take advantage of the defense that you're facing. Sim says that Shanahan always starts his game planning with ways to screw you over in the run game. And there was no screwing over of the L.A. defense done last night by the Miami Dolphins run game. Let's have a listen to Mike McDaniel assessing after the game the performance of his starting quarterback, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I thought he did some some good things. There's some stuff that I think he would think he'd, he'd want to have back. Um, but really, I was just kind of disappointed in the connection between him and uh, some of the eligibles. Uh, they, all the uh, incompletions were definitely not um, on Tua. There were some, you know, when you miss opportunities, you know, I think we had a, uh, you know, something we work on all week and we've been working on all season, uh, a, a throw to Tyreek that I'll check it out on the film, but, you know, between um, Tyreek not being able to pick it up and, uh, and Tua's throw, um, bottom line is who cares what, whose fault it is um that needs to happen i know Tua will expect that from himself um but he i I thought overall um with the way the everyone was playing for us to win the game he um he'd probably have to do something great i thought at moments he he did do some stuff he competed uh and gave us a chance to win but you know collectively uh quarterbacks are only as good as um the the offense and together we just weren't weren't good enough and you know with all that said and he's right and look the quarterback can never blame the receivers it's always on the quarterback it always looks like the quarterback's fault unless the receiver does a pratfall when he's wide open you put it on the quarterback and you gain nothing by suggesting that it was the receiver it didn't right. work and even with all that said miles it felt like the Chargers were giving them chances to hang around. Maybe it was just the cat toying with the mouse. But, you know, it, it's you look at the score and you think, well, if they can really muster something, and then you start watching the Miami offense, it's like well, they can't really muster anything. I mean, if they could, yeah, it could get interesting, but they just can't. But the, the thing about that offense is they're always that one lightning strike away thanks to Tyree Kill, whether it's on a pass play or whether it's a fumble that's just – Bouncing around while he's standing there with his his hands folded, <laughs> literally <laughs> just watching, and here comes the ball, and there he goes. That's the thing about Miami. When it's a one-score game, you can never be completely confident that everything is going to work out. 
uh, because you never know when that craziness is going to happen. And here it is. Ball's popping around. Guys are in a scrum. Tyreek literally had his hands folded in front of him. Ball came to him, and there he went. That was one of his two touchdowns on the night. But, you know, even with that potential, it wasn't enough for the Dolphins to make a difference. And uh, they, as we said, they don't have a whole lot of time to figure things out. It's now four to seven inches of snow in Buffalo for Saturday. So uh, the, it'll probably be 40 to 70 inches of snow by the time we get to the end of the week, the way the forecast changed. But the Dolphins are going to have a tough one to t- try to turn this around, stay in the race for the division. And, you know, Sims and I said this a couple of weeks ago, Miles, and you and I may have said the same thing. I don't know. Again, all the days blend together. But one of these teams that we had penciled in for a playoff spot in the AFC is potentially going to fall out. They're going to hit a losing stretch in November, December, and and they're just going to be gone. And the Dolphins need to start worrying about that. They got to turn this thing around at some point, or they could just slip out of the playoffs altogether. Well, you know, Mike, it's funny because I, I asked Mike McDaniel in that press conference about that play where Tyree kills, you know, going 57 yards. And he says, and he said that, you know, it just didn't provide the spark that I kind of thought that it would, because it's not a play that you usually see, right? I mean, something is going right. Jeff Wilson's running the ball well, and then, oh, by the way, the ball's out. And then, you know, you're paying enough attention and you have the wherewithal to say, all right, let me grab this thing and run. And you think like, okay, now Miami's going to get something going. And that's what he kind of thought. And it just did not provide that spark at all. And that's the kind of thing that the Dolphins need to correct, right? If you have the energy, if you have the momentum, so to speak, how do you grab that thing? You know, how do you seize it? How do you make sure that that turns into something that really is a positive for you going forward? They could not do that yesterday. And that's exactly what they have to figure out in these games coming up. I mean, if you go to Buffalo and you have an opportunity like that and you take advantage of it, then you got to keep piling on, right? You can't just let your foot off the gas and then, you know, something else bad happen or, you know, you get a three and out or this or that, or you let the offense on the opposing side go down the field and score in response to that. You can't let those things happen. And that's kind of what happened last night. And that's the part of the Dolphins right now that's pretty concerning. And the other part of it now is that the Dolphins have a loss to tiebreaker to the L.A. Chargers. So if things don't continue or if things don't reverse themselves, let's call it, then the Dolphins might be in even more trouble because now if they finish with the same record as the Chargers, they'd be out of it. So all these things are not necessarily good uh, for the Miami Dolphins. They're piling up. That Saturday night game coming up at Buffalo, then it's a Christmas Day game hosting the Green Bay Packers, who are still alive in the NFC. And then it's at the Patriots and finally at home against the Jets. Not an easy road. When you got divisional opponents, it can go either way. They could lose three out of these last four games. They could finish 9-8. and Will 9-8 and be good enough? If they lose all four of them, 8-9 and is probably not going to be good enough. You're not going to have enough other teams disintegrate to the point where you could back in at 8-9. and So they need to wake up and they need to do it quickly. Uh, The alarm is sounding. The question is whether or not they will answer it. The good news for the Chargers is the alarm has been sounding for them. We've been wondering when they're ever going to do anything to make us believe in them. It's always something with the Chargers. Last night, they did get it done. Even though the running game is a work in progress, as we mentioned. Mike Williams, 116 receiving yards and a touchdown. Keenan Allen, 92 yards on 12 catches. And Justin Herbert passed Andrew Luck 
for the most passing yards in a player's first three seasons. So, uh, you know, Justin Herbert back on the right track, the Chargers on the right track. Now we have to see if they can build on it. Because every time, Miles, they have led us to believe they have found their way out of the wilderness and are ready to become a team that we thought they were going to be a playoff contender, they do something that makes us say, "Eh, we were wrong, we were wrong. These are the Chargers, and that's the challenge. String it together, thrust yourself into the conversation, get hot at the right time. There will be teams that get hot at the right time. The Chargers now have, have one step in that direction. Can they make it two? Can they make it three? Can they make it four? That's going to be the question. Yeah, you, you want to be playing your best football in December and January. That's a cliche. We all know it, and everybody believes it because it's true, right? And so this is now at least a step in that direction for the Los Angeles Chargers. And, I mean, I, I just – it's good, first of all, that you get the win, right? It's great that you do it with the defensive pieces out that were out. You know, it looks like Joey Bosa may be coming back. I saw that those were some of the reports yesterday. That's also a very good thing for the LA chargers, but offensively, I mean, you get Mike Williams back and you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the field at the same time. Yeah. That's certainly going to be a boost for your offense. And you'd hope that it will help that downfield passing game emerge a little bit more so that Justin Herbert's not averaging 7.2 yards per attempt. But the thing that just, I, I go back to with this win, it's less impressive to me than it could have been in part because of what we saw this Chargers team do against the Las Vegas Raiders. And then also because they only scored 23 points. And I don't know. I just, it's, I feel like there was more out there for the Chargers. Like there's more meat on the bone. And it's like when you eat chicken wings and some people eat chicken wings where they really like get into the chicken wing. Right. And they're not leaving anything on that thing. And that's me. And I just feel yes. like the Chargers, yes. sometimes they take like two, three bites and they're like, okay, I'm done with that one. Like I'm moving on to that. I'm like, no, like eat the, eat the chicken wing. There's more meat there. I don't know. That's just, that's the overwhelming thing I feel about this Chargers offense. Like there's, there's more there, you know, like bite it off and hopefully they can get that going, but I don't know if they will. They're so inconsistent. That's okay. the only thing that's consistent about them. We're already behind and let's go ahead and make us even farther behind. Are you a drum or a flat guy? I mean, I will take any wings. chicken wing Cause, cause, that, is, that is not boneless. Boneless chicken wings are nuggets. So I don't even understand why they call no, they, boneless they, right. wings. But I, I, I mean, I guess my, I'm more of a drums guy, but I mean, I'll, I'll take the flats. I love, I love all chicken wings. I, I like, and I, I thought of the drums because it's easier to get the meat off the bone of the drum. Now there's that gristle at the end that if you go too mm-hmm. far, you end up regretting it, but it's easier to get the meat off of that bone. With with the flats, it's it, it's too much of a struggle. It's it's too much of a fight, and you feel like you're going to end up choking on a bone because that little small one is going to break off and go down your throat and get lodged in there. So anyway, uh, and and Monday night menu in the barn for uh, the football action typically is wings here. So I'm I'm already I'm already hungry. I'm thinking about having wings for breakfast when the show is over. Now mm. that last night's game is over, the Chargers look at a schedule that consists of the Titans, which. Becomes a very interesting game because the Titans can't buy a win. They've lost three yeah. in a row now. The Colts on Monday Night Football the day after Christmas. The Broncos Week 18, let's hide. Week 17, that game has become very compelling to me. I thought it would definitely be flexed out by the NFL, and it's the NFL's decision. Not NBC, not mine. I have no input. 
I'm not even going to talk about whether or not it will be flexed, although I am. I thought for sure it was gone. For sure. Yeah. But now you throw Baker Mayfield into the Rams mix and the Chargers maybe playoff contention and the Rams trying to play this happy-go-lucky spoiler role down the stretch. I kind of dig that game now. I have a feeling you'll be there on New Year's Day at SoFi Stadium whenever they play it when the Rams and the Chargers get together for their once-every-four-years game. Yeah, that one's interesting because exactly what you said. I mean, I I also thought that it would almost for sure be flexed out. And we'll see if the Rams are as competitive as they were against the Raiders when they play the Packers um, next week. And that I'm sure will have something to do with it. But yeah, it it it's not a very good game on paper. It's just not like the the Rams. I mean, they got that boost against the Las Vegas Raiders. But I mean, come on, are they going to become the Jeff Saturday Colts and then beat the Raiders and lose the rest of the time? I don't know. So, mm, that's how I feel about it. Two more items before we move on. Uh, the, the, and, and I am being very nice to the Chargers social media team here so they don't kill us this morning, although I have a feeling they will because everybody picked the Dolphins to win. This, 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 let's play the tweet. This, I watched this thing over and over. Crack me up. Here's what they posted after the game. Hey, good luck. Y'all, good team, huh? Airport this way. <laughs> hey, my friend. Ah. <laughs> that laugh. Ah, that laugh. Airport this way. Too. And that laugh. This way. One more time. Hey, my friend. Ah. All right. Uh, that's one item of business. Hey, Other item of business, too. And I'll just refer everybody to the story I posted at PFT before the show started. There was another questionable roughing the passer call last night. I oh. assume Scott Novak, the referee, thought that he saw. Jalen Phillips land with his full body weight or close to it on Justin Herbert, yada, yada, yada. This goes back to October. When in doubt, they're supposed to throw the flag. That needs to get out of the rule book. They need to call it only if they see it. There are too many of these close calls that are being called because they're told to call them. No one will come out and say it. That's what the rule book says. They dance around it. When in doubt, whip it out. That's the rule as written. And that's creating these questionable calls. So if there's going to be any change in the offseason, it needs to be when in doubt, out. And if they're going to keep when in doubt in the rule book, they have to make it subject to replay review. And, and I was told weeks ago, it's definitely going to be a push that's made by teams to make roughing the passer subject to replay review. It needs to be. It's going to affect a big game in a big spot. It could have had an effect last night, but it, it ultimately, I don't know, did it or didn't it. It was so early in the third quarter and, I, I don't, you know, and still the Dolphins offense couldn't do anything, but it's still something that needs to be rectified before it wrecks a team's season. Well, the, the fact that the flag came out so freaking late after that, I mean, I was looking down, I'm thinking, okay, I'm making notes and now they're going to have the, the Dolphins going to have the ball and then it's going to be this and it's going to be that. And, and, you know, all of a sudden you see the flag come out and you're like, wait a minute, what, why? Because what exactly is Jalen Phillips supposed to do on that particular play? I mean, I, it, it's just one of those deals where you see it and it's so unfortunate. And, you know, I, I wasn't listening to the broadcast, obviously, because I was at the game, but I heard that they were ripping the call on the broadcast. And I'm glad because it was just something that to me was so egregious, you know, and it, uh, it gives the Chargers the opportunity to extend a drive. And those kinds of things do change the outcomes of games. 
And I, I didn't see the broadcast either because we're taping videos early in the third quarter. But I, I have said this all year, and this is non-denominational. It doesn't apply to any specific network. It applies to all of them. I think it's a disservice to the audience to not make it clear that the rule says when in doubt, throw the flag. That's what's in the rule book, and that's why right. these things happen. So it needs to come out. It just need, That needs to be taken out of the rule book because it creates a situation. So why did it take so long for the flag to go? Well, Scott Novak's got the gears turning in his head. Hmm, let's see. I don't know. I have some doubt. Oh, wait. The rule says when in doubt. Well, I have doubt. When in doubt, there's the flag. And, and that, 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 just, that needs to go. And right. supplement it with replay review, and uh, on we go. Before we move on, though, to the game between the 49ers and the Buccaneers, there was a tweet last night referencing another notorious Dolphins player who wore number one. Pretty good kicker, not a good quarterback. I shared it on the PFT text thread, and Miles didn't know what the reference was to Gero Yupremian in Super Bowl Seven, the game that capped the Dolphins' perfect season. That's the tweet. And I don't know whether Miles was just being sarcastic, but just in case, Miles, here it is. And we actually tweeted this when Tua took number one from uh, the rack when he got drafted by the Dolphins. You don't want to throw it like this guy. Here it is. It's a shutout at the time, 14-0. It's a blocked field goal. Mm-hmm. Gary Yepremian decides to do something with it, and that's what he does. Ken Bass grabs it out of the air and scores the only points of the game for the Washington football team. And they're in disbelief on the sideline. What are you doing? So that's what that was. Oh, Did no. you really? Had you really never seen that play? No, I'm honestly, no. And that's a little embarrassing for me. I mean, that's, you know, where I, that's my old place of work, Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. So uh, that's funny, man. Uh, I got, I got to get better up on my, my football history sometimes. You know, things that did Super happen. Super Bowl seven, the things alive. that happened. The world existed. I know. Whoops. Humans roamed the earth and they played football before you were born. All right. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady wasn't alive when that happened, although it feels like he probably should have been. He's been playing for so long. He was born just a few years later. Uh, he was looking He was looking not quite like Gary Yepremian yesterday, but the rest of the team sure was. 35-7. to He goes back to the Bay Area for only the second time in his career. It seems odd, yeah. but when you're in the AFC, you only make it to the – NFC stadiums once every eight years. And one year he would have played there was his torn ACL year, 2008. So that was off the table. So 2016 was the first time he ever did it. And now he's there as a member of the Buccaneers. And last time around it worked out. This time it didn't. He falls to Brock Purdy and company. And it was never close. It was just ugly domination. It was another big spot national late afternoon game that got yanked out for another one. It was a few weeks ago we saw Cowboys Vikings get the hook. Buccaneers 49ers got the hook and they probably should have gotten the hook earlier than they did miles. Yeah, it, that ball, that, that ball game was ugly, man. And you know, I mean, as much as I thought the dolphins were going to kind of come in there and curb stomp the chargers. I also thought the same thing about the 49ers going against the Buccaneers. And I at least was kind of happy to be right about that one, because look, the, the Buccaneers are not a very good football team. And so unless you are also a bad football team and you let them hang around, all you got to do is just go in and play to your ability, and you're going to be able to take them out. I think that we've seen that over the course of this season. And, you know, when you are able to make Tom Brady look as pedestrian as he looks, 
that means that you're probably a pretty darn good defense. And when you're able to execute as the, the 49ers were able to do, even though now they've got a third string quarterback in there who was literally the last person selected in the 2022 draft, that also says something about how good your team is. So, I mean, the 49ers now have some good control over the NFC West. And I mean, I don't know if they actually will clinch if they beat uh, the Seattle Seahawks on Thursday night, but it, it, it effectively will end the division race. I believe if they beat the Seahawks on Thursday. Yeah. They've won six in a row now. And it is that defense that they are becoming more and more balanced too. I mean, Brock Mm -hmm. Purdy had a hell of a game in his first NFL start. And as we got closer and closer to this, when I'm thinking, was I wrong to believe the 49ers would win and easily cover the three and a half point spread? Like, am I missing something? Is Tom Brady going to access some fountain of youth now that he's going back to the Bay Area and they're coming off of that win that we saw on Monday night where they scored two touchdowns in the final three minutes? And and no, because the 49ers have it going on both sides of the ball. The defense has been great. The key is keeping key players healthy. And they had Nick Bosa after they had to sweat out whether or not he'd be able to play. Oh, ah, that's a minor incident of tablet abuse there. But it's Brock Purdy in the offense, too. Christian McCaffrey has his first 100-yard rushing game with the team. Debo Samuel gets injured. They still keep moving. But Purdy was great. 16 for 21, 185 yards, two touchdowns through the air, one on the ground. Here's Kyle Shanahan after the game talking about the rookie's performance in his first career start. He did, he did an awesome job. Uh, I think all you guys saw that, but it was um, he made a ton of plays, made the plays that were there, made a lot of plays that weren't there. Um, did a great job in the pocket. Had you know had one mistake there that um, was fortunate, got that one back. Um, then didn't hesitate. I think he threw a touchdown on the next play, which was real cool. Um, but it was real impressive how he played, and that was real similar to the week before. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day. The threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Just phenomenal. Now, the first time around, he got thrust into the mix without any advance notice. He had a full week to prepare for this one. Now we see what he can do on a short week. You mentioned the Thursday night game against the Seahawks. Here we go. What will he do when he's only got three days to get ready? And I think he's going to continue to get better and better. There still isn't a full complement of tape out there on him. One game isn't nearly enough. But it's more of the offense. It's not like he's got any special skills that have to be broken down. There isn't some crutch that he has. There isn't something that's going to jump out on film like, hey, we need to stop this. It's the Shanahan system. So good luck. Good luck. Pick your poison. Be ready for everything because you're going to see everything and anything because Shanahan is always going to be a step ahead of you. That's what Purdy has working to his advantage, Miles. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I saw this with Brian Hoyer and the Cleveland Browns offense in 2014, right? That was Kyle Shanahan's one year with the Browns. And before uh, things weird happened and Johnny Manziel had to go in the game for some reason, they were really operating on this kind of level, 
right? So this is nothing new with Kyle Shanahan. This is what that system is. This is what he does. And so when you have all of that experience and you're trying to integrate a young quarterback who has ability, but is still a young quarterback who was drafted in the seventh round, right? And you surround him with talent like they have with San Francisco's offense. This is the kind of result that you can get. And so I, I think it's been a great job by Kyle Shanahan, not just you know trying to first integrate Trey Lance and then shifting to Jimmy Garoppolo. And now you got to shift to another quarterback. And let's not talk like that Buccaneers defense is pedestrian, at least usually. You know, that, that defense has some really talented dudes over there. And so when you can make them look as bad as they looked yesterday – then that I think says a lot about the scheme and a lot about how prepared they were to go in there and just take control of that game and exert dominance. And, and so, yeah, I, the, the 49ers are still in a really good position, even though they are playing a seventh round last pick of the draft quarterback with that team. It, it's pretty remarkable just how good they are. And look, it's a tough spot for the Buccaneers to be in. And the West Coast teams get screwed by this more than the East Coast teams. But the fact yes. that the Buccaneers played Monday night and had to go cross the country and play on Sunday against a team that was home last yeah. week. If if the 49ers had had to travel back from the East Coast after their Week 13 game, that balances out the disadvantage a little bit. But the 49ers got to sit home Sunday, didn't have to fly home, watch the game on Monday night while they're preparing for the very team they're watching. That team has to pack up the operation and fly across the country. That's a built-in advantage for the 49ers. Not that it would have made a difference. They could have played that one anywhere, and I think the 49ers were going to come out with a win, but that helped contribute to 35-7. to It was just an ugly day for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A great day for the 49ers with the caveat of Debo Samuel suffering the injury on the running play in the first half. Carted off. It looked bad. At first, it looked like knee. It was announced as knee. He was holding his knee. He was crying. He was emotional. Easy to watch that and say, mm, he knows. He knows. He knows something's not right. He knows he's done for the year. And then word emerges, it's not the knee, it's the ankle. We reported during the game that the ankle was twisted up, but it's not serious. It's a high ankle sprain. He's going to miss some time, but it's not a broken ankle. He's not done for the year. He could be back for the postseason. Uh, and with Christian McCaffrey... You, you keep it going without Debo Samuel. So, you know, I've said this about the 49ers all year, Miles. They have a nucleus of great players, and guys are always going to be injured because of the way they play the game. They play it all out, no breaks, no hesitation. You're going to have guys injured. As long as you don't have too many of those key guys injured, you can keep it rolling. So now they're down one of their key players. They have to keep these other key players healthy, and the, as long as they do, they're going to keep doing what they did yesterday. Yeah, I, I think earlier in the season when they went down and they played Atlanta and they lost, that was one of those games where it was kind of the critical mass of injured players was yes. too much to overcome, right? And, and so now I, I think, A, they're, they're just playing better and they've got some more continuity, especially on defense, right, where you're seeing guys play better and, you know, you've been able to integrate Christian McCaffrey into that offense over the last few weeks now that he's really, really been there. And so you, you can withstand an injury to somebody like Debo Samuel. As, as long as he gets back for the postseason, you're going to be okay. But, I mean, that's still a really, really, really significant loss just because of how good Debo Samuel is and also his importance to that offense and its functionality as a whole.
Yeah, uh, I agree with you completely, but they can hold together. And this makes that Christian McCaffrey trade seem even more sensible, assuming he yep. can stay healthy. But it's the nature of the position. It's not the nature of the player. When you get caught up in that mass of bodies, it twists around and falls. It's amazing that the injuries don't happen more often than they do. The Buccaneers are now 6-7. and seven. They do have a one-game lead over the Falcons and the Panthers, but this is a point that Peter King made in Football Morning in America. The way the schedule falls and the way the tiebreakers land, if the Panthers win out, your Carolina Panthers, Miles, if they win out, they win the division, period. They win it. No, they don't need any help. Win the last four games, Steelers, Lions, Bucks, Saints. Win the last four games, and you are in, and you are hosting the Cowboys in the wild card round. And I'm kind of – I like chaos. That would be chaos – Give me some chaos. I, I like Team Chaos, too, and I it would be chaos of the highest order. I mean, especially because, look, nobody expected the Buccaneers to be 6-7 and seven at this point in the season, and I don't know exactly what it is. I mean, yes, Tom Brady is older. Yes, it, it, there are some other things that are going on there, I guess. I mean, they're not – they've had injuries. They've had this. They've had that. And, yeah, you can point to the offensive line. That's one aspect of it. But are we going to act like the Buccaneers aren't talented? I mean, are we going to act like the, the core of that team is really all that different this year? I don't feel like it is. So I don't know what it is with the Tampa Bay Bucks, But they're different. And obviously – But at some point it just is. It's uh, – but that's the thing. At some point, it just is. Right. Yes. Right? And, 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 and that, that's hey, the point we're at. You're, you're preaching to the choir here. Because I, 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 I keep thinking they can wake up. Like, there's going to be a point where Tom Brady morphs into superhero mode. We saw it in the final two drives on Monday night. Now, they didn't get a chance to do it yesterday because they were getting blown off the field. But you get him in a spot where he can, he can take on that aura. And he looks like he, like... He, he, 10 years just kind of melt away as you're watching the game on TV. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I still think they're the team most likely to win the division. And they're the team most likely to create some havoc in the playoff field. But they're, they're, they are dancing dangerously close to the line of blowing it, Miles. Yes, of course they are. I mean, it just it reminds me of The Wire. And I tweeted this on Monday night. You know, you come at the king, you best not miss. Right? The, the Saints, they missed. You could go back a couple weeks ago to the Los Angeles Rams when they lost that game down there in Tampa. Right? They missed too. The 49ers didn't miss. You know, they had the chance to really go at the Buccaneers and curb stomp them, and they absolutely did it. And that's what you have to do. So, I mean, the, the Panthers, yeah, they're still alive, but that's a tough spot for them. And it was made tougher by the fact that, look, they, they started the season poorly, but, you know, they've been doing really well lately. I mean, that game against the Lions, we're gonna, we're gonna, you can't act like the Lions aren't playing really good football right now. So if they win those games, great. And I think that that would be really fun to watch. But at this point, I, I would say that it's still probably the Buccaneers division to lose, even though it technically is not, if that makes sense. Speaking of the Lions, Miles, I don't know whether you planned that or not, but it fits perfectly with the next segment. And as we go to break, the tease that they've written for me says Vegas was right about the Lions. I'll beg to differ. Vegas was wrong about the Lions. They should have been favored by more than two and a half points against the Vikings, as it turned out for Sunday. We'll talk about that game and more when PFT Live continues right after this.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.